Welcome to the Upper Room Podcast. Thank you so much for stopping by. I'm Pastor Carl McLaughlin from Calvary Pentecostal Church in Euless, Texas. We're located in Dallas-Fort Worth, where 8 million call DFW home. Whether you're tuning in to Sunday or Wednesday's message, we pray that you will find words of encouragement. It is our mission to provide a positive and encouraging voice in the midst of uncertainty. I pray that you will be blessed by today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Upper Room Podcast. We are so happy you've joined us today. This Wednesday, we heard from Pastor McLaughlin as he answered the question, where are the dead now? We learned the differences between hell, Shul, and Gehenna in this episode. But we are not without comfort. For those who have been filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name, we look forward to heaven. We hope you are encouraged. A slow, drizzling, uh, rainy Wednesday night. Um, We need to give the Lord a thanks for that. We definitely do. For sure. I... (laughs) I trust that each one of you, as you were walking in, I trust that y'all got toothpicks when y'all came in. Did y'all get those toothpicks? I didn't get those toothpicks? Huh? You know what those tooth? Yeah, those toothpicks so that on this, this, yes, yes, exactly right. You know, you put one there and you put one there. On this drizzly Wednesday night after you've been working all day long so hard. Just get those eyes open. <laughs> if you didn't get the toothpicks, our ushers have them. Just slip your hands. They'll be sure. If, if we see you dozing, I'm just going to signal, you know, on the left, um, three pews back to the, to the left, and they're going to come and put toothpicks in your eyes. It, well, it's cool. You know, we'll, we'll get you on video. Welcome to Calvary tonight. Thank you so much for being here for Bible study. It's an honor to see everybody in the house of the Lord. If you would, if you have your Bibles, let's go to the word of the Lord for our Bible study tonight. I'm going to turn your attention to the book of Luke chapter 16. Luke 16, we'll start with verse 19. Um, Before I begin, before I begin my teaching, uh, I want to say that it is so good to have Blake and Claire home here Amen. Blake and Claire McLaughlin. So I'm happy that they're home. I picked them up from the airport last night, went out to eat, and then spent some time together today and had a wonderful, wonderful time. Um, As many of you perhaps know, while some may not know, my wife, Jenna, and I will be flying out on Saturday. We will be flying to Tokyo, and we'll stay there for the night, and then we'll get on a plane, and we will go to Manila. And I will be joining a very powerful team of preachers. And we will be preaching a a national youth conference there in the Philippines. And I'm really excited about that. Uh, The lineup is pretty powerful. Michael Lindsay will be there. Michael Thomas will be there. Court Chavis, Matt Tuttle. Um, It's going to be an absolutely incredible youth conference. I don't know if you've seen any of the promo work that they're doing Um, But it's going to be phenomenal. It's going to be phenomenal. And so we're flying out on Saturday, and we'll be gone on a Sunday, a Wednesday, and a Sunday. And the lineup for the teaching and preaching this Sunday at 3.30 will be John Michael McLaughlin, 
And then on Wednesday night will be Aaron Frederick, who will be teaching the Bible study. Amen. Amen. And then the following Sunday will be Cade Hendrick. And then we will be back. We will be back on Tuesday. And uh, I may need those toothpicks on Wednesday night. So just hold on to those toothpicks, um, the jet lag, and I may need uh, more than toothpicks. I don't know what I'll need, but you'll just have to help me out. Last Wednesday, we talked about Revelation chapter 1. We talked about what John heard, what John saw, and what John did. And, and then we talked about him seeing Jesus Christ in the middle of the golden candlesticks. And that is the, those are the seven churches or the golden candlesticks of the churches. And, and we also saw that the angels um, or the messengers were in his right hand. And so the church, all seven churches, and, and that also speaks to the fact that all churches are in the hands of the Lord. And so not only are the, the churches, that's you, in the right hand of God, but also pastoral leadership or ministry within the church, um, the angels, the messengers within the church are in the right hand of God. And that right hand represents power and authority. <clears throat> we learned about that. And then in my teaching last Wednesday, I alluded to the fact of talking to you and teaching about where the dead are right now. What happens to a person when they die? Where do they go immediately? Will there just be one judgment and that's it? And will we be in this long line in, on judgment day with all of the unsaved, all of those who are unbelievers of all times. Um, and so I want to teach to you tonight. I've actually had this question posed to me because of so much loss and, and so much that's been going on the last six months in our church. Um, specifically, the question has been asked to me, what happens when people die? Where do they go? And so I want to take some time tonight to methodically work through that and teach that to you. Specifically, now put your thinking caps on. Okay, so here's what's gonna happen tonight. I need you to put your thinking caps on. I need you to either get pen paper, pencil paper, um, even on your phone, because when I start teaching and I give you biblical definitions about where the dead are and, and the different compartments in what's called Hades, um, you're going to have questions. Here's what I would love to be able to do. When I teach, it will generate some questions. I would ask you to write those questions down and then send all of them in an email. You can send those to Sister Leah. She can then take those and put those together. Absolutely. Don't send them to me. <laughs> we're, not, we're not doing a live Google Doc. We're not doing any of that stuff. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Uh, you're not going to text me with them. I won't respond, I promise. <laughs> but it's going to generate some questions. And so I would actually like to have a, a reciprocating teaching if there are good questions that come in. Um, I'm not going to answer them all tonight. I will lay a foundation. If you have questions and you want me to answer those in my subsequent Wednesday night teachings, I'd be more than happy to um, if they're legitimate questions. And, and so please feel free to jot down the questions as I'm teaching and, uh, and we'll, we'll explore some of those. I'm going to read one particular passage. Here's what I'm going to cover tonight. We're going to look at the difference between hell, Sheol, Hades, Gehenna, the lake of fire, paradise, and Abraham's bosom. 
Okay? You already have questions. You already have questions. Let me repeat myself. We're going to look at the difference between the term hell, Sheol, Hades, Gehenna, the lake of fire, paradise, and Abraham's bosom. And we find a lot of those in this one particular portion of scripture in Luke 16, beginning with verse 19. Um, and, and I'll begin reading. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. He was a wealthy man. He had whatever he wanted to have. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dog, that's an interesting name for a dog, moreover. Moreover, the dog. Moreover, the dogs. See, we won't use toothpicks. We'll just throw a little bit of humor in there to keep you. Mm -hmm. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and he was carried. Notice, notice, okay. So death, what happens to people when they die? We're picking up some cues right here. So it was when the beggar died. What happens right here? He was carried by the angels where? To Abraham's bosom or to Abraham's lap. The rich man also died and he was buried. Notice, <clears throat> notice the difference. Notice where he goes. And being in torment in Hades, the KJV says hell. Okay, it's the term Hades here. He lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. This is immediately after death. There's immediate torment. But Abraham said, Son, Remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus is evil things. But now, this is after death, but now he is comforted and you're tormented. And besides all of this, there is between us and you a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here cannot. Nor can those from there, or where you're at, pass to us. So, verse 27, then he said, well, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. I mean, this is conversation and rationale going on after death. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to what? This place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes from the dead, then they'll repent. The Bible's not enough for them. They need some supernatural sign. That's what he's saying. But he said to him, look, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither would they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Again, our subject is 
where do the dead go? And, and we'll break this down, um, hopefully, uh, very clearly to you. Let's pray together before you're seated. Jesus, we love you so much and thank you for the gift of eternal life through your death, burial, and resurrection. And thank you, mighty God of heaven, that Acts chapter 2, verse 38 answers to and corresponds with the death, burial, and resurrection in that we repent and we die. We're buried in the watery grave of baptism. Like as your death, and we receive the Holy Ghost, which is resurrection power. Therefore, any of us who have been born again of water and spirit know that we will make it in the rapture if we live a sanctified and holy life up to the point of the rapture. We love you, Lord. We do not fear death, and we understand that death has no more sting over us as we are saints of God. We give you honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. So this term hell, this term hell, there are, for, for that one English term, hell, and you'll read it, and, and the King James Version, it's really difficult to make sense because there are three English words for this, or, or, or excuse me, there are three words, one Hebrew uh, and two Greek words for this one English word, hell. It is Sheol, it is Hades, and it is Gehenna. In 39 books of the Old Testament, the world of the dead is called Sheol 65 times. The word can be translated to mean the grave, hell, or death. However, Sheol, this place called Sheol, Old Testament Hebrew term, must not be confused with the pit, the lake of fire, as it is the place of all who have departed from this life, both saved and unsaved. Sheol, that's the Old Testament, that's the Hebrew term. The English word commonly in the KJV is hell, H-E-L-L. So oftentimes when you'll read hell, you know, do I make my bed in hell? Well, we're not talking about the lake of fire there. We're talking about the place of the abode or the place of the dead. And so in the KJV, it's really hard. So, so critical to your Bible study methods and tools would be to have the Blue Letter Bible. And anywhere the Bible or the KJV says hell, just go to the, the Greek lexicon or the Hebrew. It's real easy. I know that may sound difficult, but it's real easy. And you can see whether it's using Sheol, whether in the New Testament, whether it's using Hades, or in the New Testament, whether it's using Gehenna. Gehenna, and I'll explain a little bit more, but Gehenna literally in the Old Testament was a type of the Valley of Hinnom. And it was a type of, uh, it was a garbage dump. It was a place where there was a constant fire burning. It was a place where the god Molech is said to offer up children or, or the people of Israel when they backslid and they started worshiping the god Molech, they would take their children and they would cast them into flames of fire. This was in the Valley of Hinnom. And in the Valley of Hinnom, then in the New Testament, it becomes known as Gehenna. And ultimately, even those in Gehenna will be cast into the lake of fire at the final judgment. Okay? So, so we've learned already the term hell in the Old Testament is Sheol. It is not to be confused with the pit, the lake of fire. It is only that place where people go to when they die, both saved and unsaved. In the New Testament, in the New Testament, the word for this place, Sheol, 
um, is Hades. It appears 42 times in the New Testament. It's important to know that Sheol, the Hebrew term, and Hades, the Greek term, are the same place. The same place. And they are not the same place as hell, as the King James Version uses interchangeably. Need to underscore that. If you got questions, when I start, just jot them down. We'll go back and we'll go over them again. The Hebrew word Sheol and the Greek word Hades both refer to the same temporary place. Whereas hell or Gehenna is a permanent place of punishment that lasts forever. Gehenna is the New Testament word for the dead used by Jesus himself 11 times. I'm just going to use it twice here and I'll give you a couple of scriptures. The first is Mark 9, 43 and 44. This is what Jesus said and this is how, this is how critical this term is and it's, this is how critical it is to make sure that not one single thing in our life would offend us to the extent that we would be cast into Gehenna or everlasting fire. Listen to what Jesus says. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life or eternal life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall what? Okay, so, so you need to get this because if you die unsaved, there's not going to be a purgatory. There is no soul sleep, as some theorists say, that when you die, your soul just sleeps and there's no torment at all. We've read in Luke chapter 16, once you die, if you're unsaved, you will go into this place of Hades, which, which in the place of Hades, or Sheol, same place, there is a tormenting place where the rich man was. Ultimately, that tormenting place, even that, will be cast into the lake of fire that burns forever. And here's what Jesus says, the fire will never be quenched. That means that there is perpetual, ongoing torment in this place. There is no such thing as annihilation. Okay, that means, what, what that means, and there's some scholars and theologians out there, in fact, if you're in the UPCI and, uh, and you go for your, your licensure, um, if you're a candidate and you want to get a local license, you want to get a general license, you want to be ordained, one of the questions that's asked is, do you believe in the annihilation of the wicked? And, and basically there was a theory or there was false doctrine that was going around that when you go into hell, you get burned up and so you will not be forever tormented and that's false doctrine. There is no soul sleep, you, you don't just burn up. In fact, your body goes back into the grave and your soul spirit is the one that will be tormented forever. You with me? So this is why Jesus said, look man, your hand you cause, causing you to steal, causing you to go places on your device that you shouldn't be going. And, and, and he was giving you an example. You, you should get rid of that because if, if, if getting away from sin, if you've got to cut your hand off, not literally. Don't go out and cut, don't bum the golf and said I need to cut my hand off. No, I didn't say that. Jesus said that. I'm just quoting Jesus. I'm just quoting Jesus. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Why? It's better for you to enter into life maimed than to have two hands and go into hell where the fire is not quenched. That's what he says. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And so Jesus uses this hell, Gehenna. Luke 2, or excuse me, Luke 12, 4 and 5. And I say unto you, my friends, don't be afraid. 
of them that kill the body. And afterward, that they have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into Gehenna, hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. In other words, if we were preaching to youth, if we were preaching to, if we're preaching to someone and we're talking about peer pressure, don't worry about those who are putting peer pressure on you and you buckle under their, your fear toward them because they're not going to approve of you when you're in school. You need to have a greater fear of the one who if you're lost when the trumpet sounds, you're going into hell forever. You got to make up your mind every single day. I'm really not afraid of what you say about me. I really don't care what you think about me because there's really only one that I'm going to have to answer to. And I made up my mind I'm not going to go to hell. But you can ridicule me, you can mock me, you can persecute me, do whatever you want to. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I know who I am. I know where I'm going. I make no apologies for being a Christian. Make no apologies for being a saint of God. I love this life of holiness. I love this life of separation. I love this life of gender distinction. I'm glad that we're not confused about who we are. I know where we're going. I know I, I love you, but if you don't approve of me, deal with it. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. Fear him, not them. Fear him, not them. So, I mean, when, when you really allow yourself to think about that, you would say, if I don't have the Holy Ghost and I'm not baptized in the name of Jesus, I wouldn't even walk out of this building tonight without knowing that if I draw my last breath, knowing, that's okay, I'm saved, I'm ready to go. Uh, ushers, right now, it's time to get toothpicks out. So the KJV translates all these words, Sheol, Hades, and Gehenna, the same, hell. So now let me provide a description of Sheol and Hades. She so what do we say? Sheol is found where? Old Testament or New Testament? Old Testament. And it is the what word for hell? The Hebrew word. Hades is found where? New Testament. And it's the same place, same place as Sheol. Sheol and Hades, same thing. It's just one's in Hebrew and the other's in Greek. One's in Old Testament, the other's in the New Testament. So now let me provide a description of, of Sheol and Hades. I'm not going to actually read the scripture, but I will summarize the scripture. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 18 uses the term Sheol, and it's a place where the dead exist. Psalm 86 and 13 uses the term, and it's a place for the soul when one dies. Psalm 9 and 17, it's a place for the wicked and those who forget God. Genesis chapter 44, verse 29, Jacob expected to go there. So we're seeing now both the righteous and unrighteous believe they are going to this place. And then in Psalm 89 and 48, all men will go to Sheol. This is this place, the abode of the dead, the spirit, soul of man goes to this place. It becomes apparent that Sheol is a place where the righteous and the unrighteous go immediately after death. It's a dwelling place of the soul. Psalm 49, 15, this, and this, and this is critical 
to grasp because the answer comes in the New Testament. Psalm 49 and 15, God will redeem my soul from what? What did it say, Jackson? God will redeem my soul from the power of what? Sheol. This passage implies that even the righteous will one day be released from Sheol. Even the righteous will one day be released from this place called Sheol. So now let's take a look at three compartments in Sheol or Hades. Three compartments. The most detailed description of Sheol or Hades is in Luke 16, 19 through 31. And that's what we read. I read that in your hearing. This passage appears to have three compartments. Abraham's bosom, a great gulf fixed, and a place of torment. Three compartments in Hades. Three compartments in Sheol, Hades. Abraham's bosom, a great gulf fixed, and a place of torment. Let's look first at Abraham's bosom. What does that mean? Paradise and Abraham's bosom are one and the same. The word paradise is used as a synonym for heaven. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, Jesus said, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And so Abraham's bosom, paradise, and this heavenly place are all synonymous. When Jesus was dying on the cross and one of the thieves being crucified with him asked for mercy, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me where? In paradise. In Jesus' words of comfort to the repentant thief, Jesus used paradise as a synonym for heaven. And the word has come to be associated with a place of ideal peace, or delight in the presence of the Lord. Abraham's bosom, heaven, paradise, the presence of the Lord. All of these places are, are synonymous terms, can be used synonymously to provide comfort and peace when we die. Abraham's bosom is referred to only once in the Bible, in the story of Lazarus and the rich man in which we read. The image is the story is that Lazarus is reclining at a table, leaning on Abraham's side. So this is literally happening. The point of the story is that wicked men, this is, this is, a, this is a critical point here. So one of the things that we extract from Luke chapter 16 is that wicked men, wicked men in the place of torment will see the righteous in a heavenly state while they themselves are in torment, and that there will be a great gulf fixed between these two domains that can never be spanned, this great gulf. Abraham's bosom is obviously a place of peace, a place of rest, and joy. In other words, it's a place of paradise. Now let's look at and define a place of torment. So we've looked at Abraham's bosom. Now let's look at 
the other area or other, the other compartment here in Hades, and that is the place of torment. Notice verse 23 of Luke 16. And being in torments in Hades. So Hades has these three compartments. Being in torment in Hades. He lifted up his eyes and he saw. Notice what's going on after death. It's not this, this place that we don't know anything. Very rational. Can see. Can feel. Can, can think logically. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Okay, now he's wanting an altar. Now he's wanting to come and repent. And send Lazarus that he may dip. If I can, if I can't cross over this great gulf, then send Lazarus. Just all I want you to do is just get a little bit of water. All I want is a little bit of water because even my tongue is in torment right now. Even my tongue is in pain right now. And all I want is somehow for Lazarus, who wanted the crumbs from this man's table. But now this man's asking for a drop of water from Lazarus, who's in heaven. And he said, if you could just... just one drop of water on my tongue to quench this torment and this pain that I'm feeling. For I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember in your lifetime you received your good things, likewise Lazarus, evil things, but now he's comforted and you're tormented. So, a couple of bullet points here. Torment. Torment is a literal occurrence that happens to the soul and spirit of the person. The rich man's body was still buried in the grave just like we bury everyone that passes from this life. Yet he did not cease nor did he suspend or was his existence suspended or even his awareness suspended. He didn't just go to some holding tank and he wasn't aware of what was going on. There was, no, there was no purgatory, there was no hint of what some call a soul sleep when you die or an annihilation. There is no hint here of a spiritual progression or a reincarnation. Once you die, you are fixed in that fixed permanent state. It can't, if you're not saved, it will be a place of torment forever. There is no hitting the reverse. Also, there's no hint of a purgatory or even a remedial cleansing. And, and I'm throwing out three or four different theories that you'll read in commentaries and different books and philosophies. Um, we have to stick with the authority of Scripture and not allow theories to bleed into or other world religions to bleed into what we believe about, about our present state, about our intermediate state, and about our eternal state. And those are the three states that you need to be sure that you take care of. Take care of your present state, you don't have to worry about the uh, intermediate state, and you won't have to worry about the eternal state. So the present state is you living in the Holy Ghost, living holy every day of your life. Are you ready for the rapture right now? Like we believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ, so, so we believe that the rapture of the church can happen at any time, and he doesn't have to give us any forewarning. He can do what he wants to. 
that trumpet sounds, our present state of living a sanctified life. We're justified by the blood, we're sanctified by the word, spirit, and blood, and then we will be glorified once we die. When we die, we take that final breath, there will be a glorification. We go into an intermediate state, and then ultimately the eternal state will be when there is a new heaven and a new earth. You got it? Present state, intermediate state, future state, or eternal state. So now let's take a look at this, um, the third compartment, a great gulf fixed. A great gulf fixed. There's no, there's no way to cross over. Verse 26, and besides all of this, that's a sweet sound. That's a really good sound. taking a drink hoping it would be quiet this great gulf fixed and besides all of this between us and you just think about that for a minute just think about that for a minute if you're away from the Lord right now if you're not right with God right now you're not where you need to be you're already you're already practicing what could be a great gulf fixed. Have you ever wondered, I know as a pastor's heart, I wonder this often, I think about this frequently. When we have a powerful service like we had Sunday, and, and I look and there are people, literally tears are streaming down people's face. I, I preached for Brother Staten in Maryland, I watched it happen there. Everywhere I preach, I watch. And I literally, it's almost like you can see this gulf that's being shaped. It's not eternal. But you'll watch certain people and they will come and they will pray, they'll talk in tongues, they'll renew their spirit. They're making sure that in their present state they're right with God so that if they died, whether the rapture happens or they died tomorrow, they're going to make sure that their intermediate state and their eternal state is secure in the Lord. And so you'll see these people worshiping God. It's almost like heaven on earth. But then you look out and in a congregation where some of you I've pastored all, almost all your life. And all of a sudden something happens in your spirit and man it just, whoom, it shows. And like everybody can be praying and talking in tongues and there'll be some that they're not going to budge. And I'm like, are they already almost solidifying this great gulf that is fixed? Because listen, if it's that hard for you to have a move of God now. If it's truly that difficult, I mean, think about that logically. He loves you more than anybody could ever love you. He died for you. Nobody else has ever done that. He shed his blood for you and took away every sin that you would ever commit. He forgives time and time. Why wouldn't you and I want to love him? With I mean, that makes logical sense to love him. How could you not respond to him? I don't even want to practice now on earth being in the wrong compartment in Hades. I don't even want to think there's this great gulf and I don't want to be in that heavenly place. We need heaven on earth. We need to turn Calvary Pentecostal Church into paradise. We need to let the Holy Ghost reign in this house so powerfully that there's always this peace and joy and righteousness in the Holy Ghost. 
Let's get ready when we draw our last breath to go to that paradise. Don't be so lost sitting on a pew that you're already getting ready to go to the lake of fire. Like, like that, that stone cold look, it's scary. Because what you don't realize is that, I mean, like, I really don't know. I, don't, I wish I knew. I wish I could crack our heads open and figure out the rationale behind it all. Like, why do you think it's okay to do that? What's that going to get you? Where, where are you going with all that? I made up my mind I'm going to heaven. And so this great gulf that's fixed, let's look at a couple of things here. Anyone that's in that compartment, the place of torment, you're going to be able to see. You're going to be able to see. You're going to definitely be able to feel things because his, his tongue said, I am in torment. You're going to be able to know, that's Abraham, that's Lazarus, that's a rich man. You're going to be able to know, you know, he knew who Moses was, so he's referring to the Old Testament scriptures. He knew, but this great gulf is fixed. And so he's calling out, let me, if you can't, just send Lazarus here. If I can't go there, send him in, let me have some water. He said, I'm so sorry, but there's this great gulf fixed. So that anybody that's over there cannot come here. And if you land here, you're going to see everything you wish you would not have missed. But there's no way, once you die and you're there, there's no way. You'll see it. You'll desire it. You'll want it. But you'll never, for an eternity, be able to get it. This lukewarm business goes out the window when you start thinking about stuff like that. You know why? Man, I'm telling you, we should be so on fire for Jesus Christ. We should be so on fire for Jesus Christ. There's a great gulf, but I'm going to be over here. I'm going to be right here. I'm going to get to see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm going to get to see Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Moms and dads, make up your mind. Nothing in this world is more important than getting your children to heaven. Don't let them skip church. Don't let them skip Friday night. Get them to the house of God. Get them around heaven, heaven's people as much as possible. You do not want something solidified in their spirit. I'm not going to... I could go, I could really go into some teaching on, on, on parenting and things that in their adolescent ages and, and even younger they get involved in where then later on. You know, when they're little bitty, we think it's cute. But we solidify things when we think it's cute. And then all of a sudden when they're teenagers, we abhor it. We can't stand it. Well, we let it happen when they were little bitty. So now when they're teenagers, you can't hit the reverse button, man. They got, they're solidified. They got locked in on it. And it takes an act of God. So Abraham is talking, and he sees the rich man. The rich man sees, feels, and rationalizes while he's in torment. Between us and you, there's a great goal fixed, so that no one who wants to pass from here can, and those that are there cannot come here. So then we need to ask the question, if there's hell, one English term 
and Sheol is the Hebrew, Hades is the Greek, and then we know that the lake of fire, um, ultimately Gehenna, or this place will become the lake of fire. So how do we escape? How do we escape from Sheol and Hades? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, we are assured of something that the Old Testament saints did not have. We are assured that to be absent from the body huh, is to be present with the Lord. How did that happen? How come the Old Testament saints didn't have that, but how come the New Testament saints and the church age has that right now? Because we needed the first fruit of resurrection. Who is the first fruit of resurrection? Jesus. When he came out of the grave on the third day, he's the first fruit, which means there's going to be this, there's an order to this resurrection. That means that we're following that order. That means that when you get the Holy Ghost, it's heaven coming back into the present so that we who are in the present can go into the future. And that only happened by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He led captivity captive. He preached to the spirits of men. Amen. He, had the, he has the keys to death and to Hades. He has the keys to death and to Hades. And so now when you die... To be absent from this body is to be present. Woo! To be present in his presence. What are you going to do when you get there? Because you're in his presence right now. So whatever you think you're going to do when you get into his presence there, you may as well go ahead and do it now in church because you're in his presence. You with me? And so we're assured to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. His promise is to all who are saved, born again of water and spirit. Souls of the righteous at death, the souls of the righteous at death go directly into the presence of God. The part of Sheol called heaven, paradise, or Abraham's bosom. Look at Luke 23, 43, I've read it once, but let me read it again. And Jesus said to him, Verily, verily I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body <clears throat> is to be present with the Lord. And then one final verse that will support our premise is Philippians chapter 1, verse 23. For I am hard-pressed, I'm hard-pressed between the two. That's what Paul's saying, I'm hard-pressed between the two. I have a desire to depart and to do what? To be with Christ, which is what? Far better. He, he was getting weary in the labor. He, he said, man, I'm caught between two. I really want to stay here with you. I want to keep doing the work of ministry. Keep, I enjoy what I'm doing. He said, but when I think of that heavenly home, I have a desire to depart and to be with Jesus, which is going to be far, far better in his presence. So we've looked at we've looked at hell, we've looked at Sheol, we've looked at Hades, looked at Gehenna. This is generally, we're just we're just skimming the surface. We've looked at the three compartments of Hades, which is Abraham's bosom. We know synonymous um, paradise, heaven, presence of the Lord, joy, 
Um, we have also looked at and explored this great gulf that's fixed. It's permanent, it's a fixed place, it's not temporary, it's permanent. Um, we have also taken a look at um, the place of torment. And so now, let's take a look at the lake of fire. The lake of fire. <clears throat> the lake of fire. The lake of fire mentioned in Revelation chapter 19 and 20, chapter 20, verse 10, and chapter 20, verse 14 through and 15. And then in Revelation 21 and 8, those are the scriptures in Revelation where the lake of fire is mentioned. This is, <clears throat> this is the final place of torment. This is the final place of eternal punishment for two categories, fallen angels and fallen humans. The lake of fire will be the final destination, final punishment for fallen angels and fallen humans, according to Matthew 25, 41. Scripture says, then shall he say also to them on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for whom? The devil and his angels. So, <clears throat> so we see that in Matthew 25, 41, then he shall say, this is Jesus, and he shall say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire. This is like fire. Prepared for the devil and his angels. It wasn't even prepared for humans. It wasn't even prepared for humans to go to. You know, that's what people will say. Well, you're serving a God. He's so cruel that he would send people to hell. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. If he were so cruel to send people to hell, he would have never become flesh. He would have never gone to Calvary. He would have never shed his blood. He did not send people to hell. If people go to hell, it's because they want to go to hell. He provided a path to go to heaven, and that path is his blood and his spirit and his word. And these three agree in one, and that agreement is, I'm going to get you from this earth, keep you out of hell, and get you into heaven. And you and I have got everything on our side. We have everything that we need. You're going to have to work hard if you want to go to hell. You're going to have to go through the blood. You're going to have to go through all the preaching. Every sermon you've ever heard, it's going to echo, echo in the hallways of hell. You don't think you won't remember some of the, you don't think you'll remember this teaching? If you go to hell? Man alive. I should have taken that more than just an academic Bible study on that Wednesday night. I should have gotten my soul ready. Downplayed it and thought it was just a little cute little Wednesday night academic thought. Mm -mm. It was about your eternal soul. About your eternal soul. God is such a loving God that He would die for you. And literally, before we cross over into, we would have to literally just walk right through that blood. We'd have to walk right by, right by the cross. It's like that old message that Brother, Brother Foss preached. He said he was going somewhere, and he asked the people, he said, 
He said, how do I, I remember where we was going, uh, trying to get to a church, and they said, oh, it's easy. He said, they said, you'll know that you've passed Calvary when you get to Hell Street. And he preached the message, stop by Calvary on your way to hell. Yeah. Where will people go when they die? Not, you're not somehow going to figure out how to twist things around to where you make it once you die. If you die lost, you're forever lost. This place called the Lake of Fire is described as a place of burning sulfur. And those in it experience eternal, unspeakable agony of an unrelenting nature. Mark 9, 43 through 48. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to sin, isn't it interesting the hand and things you hold on to and you won't let go of? Isn't it interesting the foot that you walk down certain paths that you won't change the path you're on? So look, some of the things you're holding on to that you won't let go, it's going to cause you to go to hell. Better for you to cut that thing off, let go of whatever you're holding on to. This pathway, you know, you come to church on Wednesday, come to church on Sunday, but Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, you're going down this wrong path. This feet that you're dealing with, these feet that keep taking you that way, what's well, not really the hand, it's not really the feet, it's the heart. It's the heart. And you need to, you need to turn that thing around. Turn that thing around. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched and where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Those who have rejected Jesus Christ are in a temporary place of the dead, Sheol or Hades. And they're in torment right now. And they have the lake of fire as their final destination. I'm going to say that again, and I'm going to say it with as much compassion because I have loved ones. This kind of stuff will mess you up. <clears throat> and if you let your emotions get a hold of you too much, you'll start changing your theology. Because when you start thinking about this eternal place of torment and the lake of fire, you'll start twisting your theology so that grandma or grandpa or someone doesn't really have to go into the lake of fire. It's tough. This is hard stuff. So, so I'm, I'm talking to you, and I've had to perform um, a funeral for my own grandfather that there's a part of me that has to block some stuff out because I know that my grandfather was not baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and he did not receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking with other tongues. And when he passed from this life and I had to perform his funeral, I, I went through a bout. I, I went through a really difficult time, and I really struggled with it. And I had to really just come to a place where I said, okay, Lord, I'm a preacher. 
I truly believe this word. And I just have to stand on this word. It doesn't mean that when you're performing a funeral or you're doing something that you have to put someone in one place or the other. It's always best to take the approach that everyone is in the hands of a very loving and merciful God and let God take care of all of those things. But at the same time, we have to be very clear on what the scripture teaches and stick to the word. And so it is a very difficult thing when you're working through it because you got to sift through a lot of personal emotions and memories. <clears throat> so I'm going to share this with you again. <clears throat> Those who reject Jesus Christ and the gospel and do not obey Acts chapter 2 verse 38 and then they die. They go to a temporary place where the abode of the dead, um, all those spirit souls are in Hades or Sheol, which is the same place. <clears throat> and there's this place of torment. We've learned that from Luke chapter 16. From that place of torment, then at the, <clears throat> at the last judgment, which is called the great white throne judgment, and this will follow the 1,000 year reign. This will be also known as the second death or the second resurrection. The second resurrection or the second death are all of the unrighteous and all of the unsaved. That's the second death will be only the unsaved. No righteous or saved will be resurrected at that point. It will only be those in Hades or this place of torment. They will be resurrected and immediately when they're resurrected, they will go to the great white throne judgment and then they will be with the devil, false prophet, antichrist. They will be cast into the lake of fire that will be their final destination. All born-again believers who die enter immediately into the presence of the Lord. All unsaved will die, and they will be in this place of torment. Let me read to you what the scripture says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 7 through 15. Now when the thousand years have expired... Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, <clears throat> to gather them to battle. This is, this is after uh, tribulation. This is after the battle of Armageddon. This is after the 1,000-year millennial reign. He will be loosed from prison. He will then go out to deceive the nations, and, and then there will be this final battle, Gog and Magog, he will gather them to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. The saints, that's the millennial reign. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. John said, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them to run or hide. And I saw the dead. Where are they coming from? Hades, place of torment, this compartment. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened the book of life. And there the dead were judged according to their works on earth by the things that were written in the books. So you want to talk about CPAs, Q 
keeping meticulous records. Some of you that are perfectionist and detailed, you keep records of every single thing. There are books that every one of our works on earth right now are being recorded. Being recorded. Everything according to the scriptures. By the things which are written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades. Remember Hades has three compartments. Abraham's bosom, place of torment, great gulf fixed. Abraham's bosom, paradise, heaven, presence of the Lord, great gulf, place of torment. Boom, boom, boom. One major place, three compartments. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and uh, Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then even death and Hades, so even this temporary place of torment, was cast, where? Into the lake of fire. This is the second death or the second resurrection. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is where the dead go. This is where the dead go. You know where you're going when you die? Like if you were to die right now? Anything, anything your right hand's fooling with? Anything your eyes are watching? Any pathways your feet are going? He said, look, man, you better cut, you better cut that out of your life right now. It's better for you to cut all that out of your life. And if you're injured in the process of getting rid of some of that stuff, so be it. Better for you to enter into that eternal heavenly home than to go into hell whole where you will burn forever and ever and ever it's not a fear tactic it's just bible theology this is this is reality it's crazy man you start studying about all this stuff and you have these philosophers and these theorists that try to rationalize away all of this stuff like they will like right now if like what you've just heard if you don't like it, feel like you don't agree with it, your brain, because we worship ourselves. We like to be right. And do you like to be wrong? Now, I don't know anybody that likes to be wrong. But if you, if you don't want to obey and submit to the Lord, I promise you right now, your brain is rationalizing like crazy. You are figuring it out right now how you're going to have the loophole. You need to be real careful there because that's also called searing your conscience. It's a dangerous place to sit in a church like this and hear a message like this and start rationalizing away why you're exempt from this rule and you're slowly searing your conscience. To where after you sear your conscience, then you lose your feeling. That's why the Bible says they've gone past feeling. You can sit under this type of teaching for so long, you lose the ability to even feel. Like it just doesn't do anything for you. You've checked out on it. The beautiful thing is, you're saved. You're ready. Sweetheart, you got the Holy Ghost. If the rapture happened right now, I mean, if, if that sound, that sound of the trumpet, which 
Last week, Wednesday night, we learned that what he heard, the voice that he heard was the sound of a trumpet. It was a clear sound coming from this vision. And John fell to his feet when he heard that voice of Jesus. What are we doing as we've heard his word tonight? Let's stand. There's nothing more beautiful. There's nothing more beautiful. Hard, difficult, unwanted, but beautiful. When you perform a funeral for someone that's saved. Because when they die and they pass from this life, you know they're already in this wonderful place of paradise where there's no more pain, no more sickness, no more sorrow. And there's such a peaceful feeling. You know, you've walked into a funeral before where the person was saved. There's a peace. There's nothing more difficult than to perform a funeral where where everybody's in the hands of God, however God's going to shake all that out. But it seems apparent that there hasn't been obedience to the scripture. You feel it and sense it hard. So we're going to open the altar. Let's just imagine just imagine we're in Hades and there's some compartments. There's this Abraham's bosom, paradise, heaven, presence of the Lord. There's this great gulf fixed. And then there's this place of torment. Which place, if, if you had to go right now, which place do you want to go to? Remember, there's no limbo, so you can't stay in the pew. You either come over to Abraham's bosom, or, or maybe the pew's the great gulf. want to be saved. This brings a brand new perspective of what we let in our house, what we don't let in our house. What we entertain ourselves with and what we don't entertain ourselves with. Decisions we make, decisions we don't make. People we let our children date, people we don't let our children date. Every single decision counts. Every single decision matters. I want to be with Him. I want to see You, Jesus. I want to see You, Lord. I love You. 
I love you, Lord. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your blood that you shed for my sins. I worship you, Lord. Sing it. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to learn more or simply stay connected with the church, podcast, and upcoming events, you can visit us at calvarylewis.org or on social media, Facebook and Instagram at Calvary Connect.